Welcome to worship with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia. This virtual worship service is brought to you in a time when we join you in practicing social distancing to curb the pandemic virus. We pray that in the not-too-distant future we will welcome you in person when you visit us in Old Town Alexandria. Good morning and welcome to this online worship service with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia. Today is Trinity Sunday, as we acknowledge and honor the mystery of the triune God, God who created us, Word made flesh who walked among us, Holy Spirit with us always. We are glad you are here worshiping with us as we worship God and seek to discover what God is calling us to be and do in this particular time and place. The Lord be with you. And, and also with you. Let us worship God. God. Our scripture lesson today is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. Listen for God's word. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Most Sundays summon us to participate in God's solidarity with our neighbors. Trinity Sunday places that summons front and center. In the closing words of his second letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul underscores the church's reliance on the power of the triune God for hope of its transformation. 
first church, Corinth, was a community torn and divided by competing factions. Its divisiveness weighed heavily on Paul's heart and occupied center stage in both of his letters to the church. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, the apostle writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same purpose. And then in the closing of his second letter, the apostle repeats the charge to put things in order, agree with one another, and live in peace. It bears noting here at the outset that Paul's admonition to agree with one another is not an appeal to uniformity. In fact, Paul applauds the rich diversity of this congregation. No, this appeal is to think according to Jesus Christ, or to have the same mind as Christ when he humbled himself and died for the sake of the world. According to Paul, it takes that kind of mindset, that kind of love, to mend factions and facilitate peace. It also bears noting that the idea of the Trinity articulated in the last verse of today's scripture lesson did not arise from a bunch of academics sitting around debating the finer points of theology, but from human experience. It came, as the New Testament scholar Matt Skinner says, from lived encounters with a God who shows up in various ways in among, and always, for the sake of human bodies. And therefore, says Skinner, if our theology cannot speak directly to the real, lived experiences of people, especially as a means of locating the divine among them, we need to rebuild it. If our theology cannot clearly amplify God's declaration of human dignity, and cannot boldly magnify the love of God, a love committed to be with and among those who live with dignity being denied and love being withheld, we need to rebuild it. In these turbulent days, when not just dignity, but life itself is being denied to so many people, it is clear we modern-day Christians have some rebuilding to do. I don't know how many times my heart can break without stopping altogether. As most of you know, my heart has been broken by the death of my sons. But more recently, it has been broken by the growing unrest in our country, so much of it fueled by a hatred of the other. It has been broken by the way we have treated immigrants and refugees who only want what I want and you want, an opportunity to live and work in peace. It has been broken by the cruel and unnecessary deaths of other people's sons and daughters, and too often at the hands of people sworn to protect them. It has been broken by the relative silence of the church when it comes to addressing the systemic racism that is so embedded in our culture. 
and it's also been broken by friends and colleagues who continue to express this hatred of the other firsthand simply because of the color of their skin. One friend wrote about an outing with her two sons. The rural roads leading them to the Skyline Drive were dotted with Confederate flags and signs supporting President Trump. She worried, and rightly so, for the safety of her sons as white cashiers and clerks gave them a cautious look. The three of them, Americans out doing an American thing, and yet seen as dangerous intruders who did not belong. No mother should have to plead with her sons to be safe, to stick together, and always carry their ID. But sadly, that's the America we're living in. Another friend and a treasured colleague Brian Blunt, the president of Union Presbyterian Seminary, wrote about his worries and fears as a black Christian and how his words and work might bring trouble on his people and his own children. Blunt wrote, I'm afraid because I fear that one day, long after I have died, my son and my daughter will still weep, weep at the news about a black individual murdered while sitting in her home, running in his community, walking home from his corner store, driving in her car, standing in his front yard, exploring in his park, worshiping in her church, lying helpless on an American street. The full weight of a cavalier, almost casual, curiously disinterested white anger crushing his throat beneath its self-righteous, imperious knee. I am afraid because I fear a reckoning on the streets if it cannot find justice in the courts, redress in our politics, realignment of our institutional policies, and reconsideration of our racial values. I am afraid because I fear that when I am called to my own final reckoning, the record will show that I didn't do my part. I did not witness not enough. And then Blunt wrote, white Christians are not witnessing not enough. And my heart broke again. It broke because I knew he was right. White Christians like me and like most of you are not witnessing enough. Dear friends, if ever there was a time for the church to put things in order and to bear witness to the teachings of Jesus Christ, it is now. Blunt goes on to note that the book of Revelation speaks of a world possessed by systemic evil. That evil manifests itself in an imperial reign that demands fealty. Rome wants to be worshipped 
And Christians can respond in one of two ways. They can patriotically idolize Rome, or they can witness to the lordship of Christ. Rome promises to punish anyone who refuses to render the reverence it believes it is due. John of Patmos pleads for a witness to an alternative truth, the reign of Jesus Christ, who spilled his own blood in an effort to inaugurate that reign. With the image of our president in front of a church, holding up a Bible, after just demanding fealty and threatening the mobilization of thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers to quell any resistance. The contrast between these two reigns is crystal clear. And so I believe is our call to bear witness to the reign of Christ, which ironically is carefully and unequivocally spelled out in the Bible the president held in his hands. I know this will sound too political for some of you who are listening, but here, I believe, is the hard truth of the matter. If Christians, particularly white Christians like me, Christians with power and privileges remain silent, or worse, openly supportive of powers and institutions that we know to be antithetical to the teachings of Christ and the politics of his kingdom, then clearly we need to rethink and rebuild our theology or quit calling ourselves Christians. As I said, the Bible is unequivocal about the teachings of Christ and the politics of his kingdom. In his very first sermon, Jesus puts it all on the line saying, I have been anointed to bring good news to the poor, sent to proclaim release to the captives and to let the oppressed go free. And the Bible is also unequivocal about our final reckoning a reckoning we are told that will be based on whether or not we fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, cared for the sick, and visited the imprisoned. The Bible even tells us that when we do these sorts of things, we do them to Jesus. And when we fail to do these sorts of things, we fail to serve Jesus. To borrow again from Blunt, in Christ's kingdom, lepers are touched. There are no Eric Gardeners who cannot breathe. The sick are unilaterally healed. There are no Amud Arberries demonically hunted to death. Codes and laws too legalistically and unjustly applied are broken. There are no Brianna Taylors shot eight times 
when their homes are broken into by law enforcement. Men once incapacitated by paralysis walk. There are no George Floyds paralyzed beneath the weight of ruthless state agents. Systems of ethnic segregation are broken, broken open by the vision of a house of prayer for all nations. There is no aspiration of a rule where one people structures society so that it perpetually privileges them and those like them. We know the promise of Jesus' kingdom, says Blunt. We know what Jesus intends. Our calling is to witness to it, not just spiritually, but tangibly, not just with well-intentioned prayer, but with concrete action. And not just from pulpits and in the sanctuary, but out in the world, on the streets of our cities and in the corridors of power. Dear friends, it is time to put things in order. Time to think with the mind of Christ and time for us and all people to live in peace. It is time to give voice to the triune God by announcing the mercy and grace of Christ to those who have been deprived of such, by showing the love of God to those who have been deprived of love, and by drawing those who have long been abused into the blessed communion of the Holy Spirit. So let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's do it now, while we still can, before it's too late. As you go out into the world, dare to be a witness to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Dare to root out the systemic evils that plague our nation and our world. Do it now, before it's too late. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you and all people now and forever. Amen.